Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Good morning and welcome to Collective Church. My name is Tyler, I'm one of the lead pastors. I have the privilege of leading alongside of my wife, Lee. And whether you're engaging online or in the room, we're glad that you're with us, glad that we can be together. We've been in a series as a church called The Way of Jesus. And we're coming to the end of it. The Way of Jesus, we've been working through Luke. There's 24 chapters and each week looking at one chapter and highlighting a section. And we're coming to a close in the series But there's something that's significant that's happening. It's coming to a close, and yet it's the very beginning. And and in some ways, that's kind of the story even for our church, for Collective. There have been things that God has been doing in this series that are just beginning, that are growing in in their conviction and intensity. And even in the narrative of what's happening in Jesus's life, there is something significant happening. I want to pray for us, and then I want to dig in. God, I pray that in these moments, that you would be the voice that we hear, that it wouldn't be my voice. God, that you would quiet all the noise in our minds, the things that we're thinking of from this week, the the stresses we have, the things that are causing us anxiety or fear or hesitation. God, that your voice would be clear and loud. God, as we open up your words, would you illuminate them and and transform us, change us, draw us closer? God, we need you. I need you. God, we give you this time. We want to listen to what you are saying. Change us. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Lee and I have two kids, Ava and Parker. Ava is six. Parker is four. Ava is a rule follower. Okay, if Ava, if I say to Ava, Ava, go sit on the couch and stare at the wall and we'll get you in half an hour, half an hour later, where would I find her? Sitting on the couch, staring at the wall, like she's very reliable. Parker, on the other hand, is not like that. Parker is the kid that we know if it gets quiet, something is wrong. And so this week, we had a a heavy day on Tuesday and we get home and and, uh, and he's like, I have to go to the bathroom. And so uh, we'd rather he does that in the bathroom, not just kind of wherever. So we send him into the bathroom. He closes the door. And there's a little bit of time where it gets too quiet. And I'm like, what is happening in the room? What is going on? Now, in the past, what he's done is he'll get into my drawers and he'll grab out hair product because I do his hair and he does it himself. So uh, he grabs like a huge clump and just, and so in my head, I was like, I was expecting maybe I'd find him with hair product in his hair. I had expectations, and instead, my expectations turned sideways because I found him, and he had grabbed my beard trimmer, and he had put the guard all the way down and decided to trim just the front, just the center part, all the way to the skin. And so I'm looking at him, I'm exhausted, and I'm like, why, why would you do this? Like, I give him a fade. Like, he looks good. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? So then I take off Sarah's. I'm like, get get your clothes off. And I shave his whole head. 
And I learned some things. I learned, one, we thought he had a nice shaped head. He doesn't. (laughs) And also, he's like blonde but not, and so his hair has a bunch of different tones going on. And so when I shaved his head, he looks like he's sickly. Like, I looked at him, and I was like, he's this cute little boy. And I'm like, why would you do this? And I took a mirror, and he looked, and he's like, ooh, that's not good. I go, I know. I know. I had an expectation of what I'd find him doing, and what I discovered was something different. You ever have that experience where you have an expectation? Okay, so someone's going to do something. They say, I thought Parker was going to be in the room going to the bathroom, like he said, and yet I'm surprised by the outcome. We often find this in scripture where people will navigate situations that they have expectations of and yet they're surprised by what actually happens. This is what happens in this story. There are a group of women that go to the tomb that they expect to find Jesus in, dead. And they get to the tomb and they are completely surprised by what happened. I want to read from Luke 24, 1 to 12, and it says this, But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in. But they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there, puzzled, two men, poof, suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. Now, you can only imagine what that whole experience would be like. You go and you expect to find something, and instead you go to the tomb and find something completely different. And there's something even in the first verse here that is so profoundly significant for those of us that would call ourselves Jesus followers, that is so massive. The first verse is, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb. Sunday, the first day of the week, very early on the first day of the week. And so though it is closing off the book of Luke, and though Jesus has died, instead this moment represents the beginning of the week and the beginning of new hope. This is a new era being ushered in. Even in this one verse, there's packed all sorts of goodness and this reality that the new kingdom is coming. Jesus has ushered it in. Life will never be the same after this. And and what's the response as these women go to the tomb and they find it empty and then two guys show up? They're puzzled, which you can understand, right? Even as Christians, because we kind of know how things work out in the Bible, and we're like, well, I know how this story ends. But imagine you're in that scenario. When someone dies and they put their body in a tomb, you do not expect them to go out for a walk. You don't go to the tomb going like, I wonder where they are today. You pretty much know where they're gonna be. And yet they go to the tomb and the tomb is empty. Jesus is not there. And even though Jesus had already said this is going to happen, like he had already told them that this was going to happen, these women are struggling with the reality that, that it actually did happen because it doesn't make sense. How can someone be dead and then no longer there? It doesn't make sense. And the women were terrified in verse five. And they bowed with their faces to the ground because there are these angelic, these men with dazzling robes that have appeared. And the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. 
Remember what he told you back in Galilee? Remember how he had said that that was going to happen? That the Son of Man must be betrayed in the hands of sinful men and be crucified? And that he would rise again on the third day? Remember how he had said all of that? And then now he just pulled it off? And in verse 8, then they remembered that he had said this. Now when someone can predict their death and resurrection and pulls it off, something is different about him. Something is significant, because that's not a normal thing. If someone came up to you today and was like, you know what, uh, I'm gonna die, but it's okay, because I'll come back to life, we'd be like, are you okay? Is everything all right? Jesus has walked with his disciples and his followers, and he's shared, this is what's gonna happen. I'm, I'm going to go to the cross, I'm going to be betrayed, but, but don't worry, I'm gonna come back to life. But even though Jesus had said this, the disciples and the women in this scenario, they can't really wrap their brain around it. In fact, what does it take? It takes two angels to go, hey, don't you remember he already said this? And they're like, remember what he said? They're like, we don't remember. They're like, he said that this was what was going to happen. He unpacked all of this. And it required this, this angelic presence to cut through the noise. Now, we find this so often in our own life in 2022 that, that we just are focused on the things that don't really matter and we forget. We forget the things that do matter. We forget the words of Jesus and we have to constantly be reminded of what he said. I've said it before, but it bears repeating. So much of Christian leadership isn't telling people things that they don't know. It's reminding them of the things that they should already know. So often, I find that there are things that I go, I've been told, I've read the Bible, and I know it says to forgive my enemies. Well, what's the struggle? To actually forgive my enemies. And I don't need someone to go, hey, do you know, Jesus says forgive your enemies. What? I, I had no idea. No, instead, what I need is someone to consistently remind me, hey, remember when he said that? Um, yeah, you need to do that? Like, we can have all sorts of knowledge, but the problem is that so often we get distracted by other things and we forget what Jesus has already said. This is what's happening to these women. And part of my responsibility as one of the pastors is to remind us of what Jesus has already said, to focus our eyes yet again on what he has said. Because Jesus isn't, he's not like this mute that doesn't share anything. He has many words in the Bible that we can look back at and they give us context and hope and help and understanding and challenge and we need to be reminded of them. And so these angels are reminding these women of what Jesus has said and then they remembered that he had said this, that he had to be betrayed that he had to be crucified, but that he would raise again on the third day. And so verse nine, so they rush back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples, 11 because that one Judas didn't work out so well, 11 disciples, and everyone else, what had happened? It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. Are you ready? But the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. Now, it'd be easy for me to like go like, oh, man. But the truth is that this is a reality of this whole situation. If someone said to you right now, hey, um, so I went, to, I went to this grave, and they weren't there. They rose from the dead. You'd be going like, what are you talking about? 
So they didn't believe it. They thought it's all nonsense. However, Peter jumped up. This is typical Peter move. And he ran to the tomb to look for himself. Stooping, he peered in and he saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. I, I, I think this whole response of that, that they heard the story and they just thought it was nonsense is completely classic human behavior. We hear stories and we hear things, and especially as Christians, we hear of things that God has done, and it's so easy for us if we're not careful to go like, yeah, maybe for you, but I, I don't know about for me. I mean, even for us, the reality of the resurrection, this whole message that is still changing lives 2,000 plus years later, to many people sounds like nonsense. People outside of the church are going like, you, you believe this? I had a conversation, I got to officiate my cousin's wedding, and I had these, this couple come up to me and they're like, you're a pastor? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, do you, do you believe like all the miracle stuff in the Bible? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, you, so you, like all of it? I'm like, all of it. I'm like, at the core of it, all the miracles that we find, like Jesus turning water into wine or the Red Sea parting, um, it's kind of nothing in comparison to bringing someone back from the dead. Like, that's the center part of my faith is that reality, that miracle. And so all the other stuff, I go, yeah, God can do that because he can raise people from the dead. This is something that my whole faith is, is, is hinged on, this reality. This is what we believe as, as followers of the way of Jesus. This is the center point of our faith. This is the moment that changes everything, that he rose again from the dead. And the resurrection for us as Christians proves to us that death does not have the final say. Whatever we're going through, whatever we're navigating, that nothing is more permanent than death. And if even death does not have power over God, then all the other things that we're dealing with are not as significant and God is in control of all of them. We can trust him in that. If we can trust him to rise Jesus from the dead, we can trust him with our situation. Jesus, who was God, had power over death. And so the women had seen it. They went to the tomb and he was not there. And then they heard from the angels that, that he, was, he was alive, that he had conquered death. And they went and told the disciples who completely struggled to believe it. And maybe that's you. Like maybe you're like, I'm cool with the church stuff, uh, I'm cool with showing up to church. I'm cool like singing some of those songs that other people seem like they're into. And like I'm okay with some of the other stuff and you know, their coffee's not bad. And I'm like, I'll come to things. I don't know what I think about this whole resurrection thing. Like I, I don't know if I honestly, do I really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? I want you to know if that's you and that's your struggle that Jesus does in fact get it. Because his very disciples the ones who spent the most time with him were struggling with it. They were struggling with, is this for real? Could this actually have happened? And the beautiful thing for his disciples, and I believe for us that are struggling with that, is that Jesus went out of his way to help them to understand. He went out of his way to meet them where they were and brought him closer. See, eventually Jesus came face to face with the disciples. It wasn't like one of those things where it's... Uh, um, hey, I heard Jesus rose from the dead, and they're like, well, that's cool, so what else are we doing this week? It was Jesus came face to face and, and went, see my hands, see the wounds in my hands, see my feet, see, see the, the markers of, of what I did? 
I'm here. I'm alive. I did everything that I said I was going to do. They got to sit face to face with him. And then Jesus spent some time instructing them. Jesus spent time helping them to understand, listen, I know I had said all of this and and then I pulled it off, but let me just help you to understand why this matters and what's happening next and what I am up to. In Luke 24, 44, he, he continues and he says to them, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. It's important for us to understand, as Jesus is saying, that all of scripture, all of what we call scripture, all of what we call the Bible, all of it culminates in Jesus. All the Old Testament, so the Bible split up into Old Testament and New Testament, all the Old Testament, there are, there are predictions and prophecies and all of them point to Jesus and are fulfilled with Jesus. Thousands of years, many, many, many thousands of years of history and scripture pointing all the, at, at every single moment to Jesus. And Jesus is a brilliant teacher. He doesn't just say that. He doesn't just say, um, so it basically was all about me anyway, and it was all predicting what I was going to do. He actually helps them. He teaches them. He walks with them. And he say, it says in verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. This is significant for those of us that follow Jesus because this is what he's still doing today. He still opens our minds to help us to understand scripture. I've I've followed Jesus for the majority of my life and I have found consistently when I read the Bible, I, I discover new things. And I have new things that stick out to me or things I've never seen before, things that I I want, I didn't even know that was in there. There is this significant power as we'll submit to as as we submit to Jesus that he brings power into this Bible of ours and speaks to us and helps us to understand. There are moments that you read parts of scripture that you're like, I have no clue what to even do with that. And then you go, I don't know, and you just kind of close it. And then you come back another time and you're like, this is coming alive to me. This is the power that Jesus offers us. This is why as Christians, we continue to come back to the Bible and, and help, it to, help us to rediscover what he is saying as he helps us to understand. See, the, the arrogant thing that sometimes we do in pride is we're like, I know what it says. And so often when we do that, we miss all the beauty and intricacy and things that God wants to speak directly to us. And so Jesus is looking at scripture and he's helping his disciples to understand what it says. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message will be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. That line right there is so significant. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. I want to just remind those of us who would call ourselves Christ followers, Jesus followers, or people that are disciples of Jesus, that that we follow a crucified and resurrected king. 
And that the way of Jesus is a way of life that is not like the way of the world. It is different. Even how Jesus took power is different. He subverted everything. He died. He died and that, so that we might live. That doesn't make sense. The way of Jesus is upside down. And so we follow a crucified and resurrected king. This is not, this whole idea that we can have forgiveness of our sins through Jesus is opposite to what we often hear in the world. Because the narrative is you are the sum total of your worst mistake. The worst thing you ever said, the worst thing you ever did, the worst thing you ever posted, that is who you are. And there's no coming back from that, that's who you are. You're the sum total of your mistakes, but that is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is if you simply turn from that way of living and surrender your life fully to his way of living, you can experience forgiveness. He talks about repentance. There is forgiveness for all who repent. And sometimes we hear that word and, and we think of it in like the, the turn or burn, I don't wanna go to hell and, and, and all these things that add to it and we're like, wow, that seems like a dirty word. But repentance is beautiful. Repentance is the idea that we are going in one direction and we change our minds and we turn and we start going in a different direction. Repentance is saying, I've been doing my own thing, my own way, living my own life, and instead we say, I can't do it anymore. I need a savior. I am broken and sinful, and we repent, and we turn to him, and we follow his way of life. We lay down our life and pick up his. And for everyone that does that, there is forgiveness of our sins. Suddenly, all the things that we've ever done wrong and all the ways that we find ourselves not measuring up, they're surrendered to him and he tells us who we are, sons and daughters of the creator of the universe, restored back into relationship with him. Why? Because we repented and we trusted in him to do the work, not us. And he on that cross restores us. He offers forgiveness of sins. I don't want you to miss how scandalous this is. This got him into significant trouble even in his life. Jesus was forgiving people of their sins and the religious leaders like, who are you to forgive people of sins? You know who can forgive people of sins? God. And he goes, that's right. Yeah, God can forgive people of sins. Your sins are forgiven. Well, what is he saying? He's saying that he's God. Saying that he has the ability to forgive sins. This is who Jesus is. And previously, the model was, in order to experience forgiveness, there needed to be a sacrifice. The Jewish system was you'd bring, you'd bring an animal to the temple and you'd sacrifice it to pay the price for your brokenness and for your sins. When Jesus went up on that cross, he became the ultimate sacrifice who paid the price that we deserved. Lived a perfect life, sinless life, and is up there experiencing something that he did not deserve on our behalf. And so he becomes the ultimate sacrifice for us. And instead of us continually bringing our animals to be sacrificed, instead we just surrender to the reality that Jesus has already done it, that we repent and we turn back to him. And if we repent, there is new life, there is forgiveness, there is hope for us. And this invitation 
is still changing lives thousands of years later. Millions of people that have embraced this and live like this is actually true. But Jesus doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say, okay, so there's forgiveness for your sins. See what I did. And he also is going, but there's also a helper coming. This is not just about the the moment here. This is about what is beginning to happen as a result of that. He's letting his disciples know that he has to leave, but that God is sending help. It's not like Jesus is going, so listen, I did all of that. There's there's forgiveness for your sins. I'm going to leave. Good luck. Figure it out. He goes, I want to leave you with support. I want to make sure that you have help. And so he leaves the disciples and he leaves us with the promise and power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. One God, three persons. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And and if you're like me, sometimes I grew up in a church where sometimes it was more like God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Bible. Right? Right? And you're like, the Holy Spirit is, is weird and strange, and I don't know that I can tr- trust him. And, and so you've been around some people that are like, that, that, it is a little bit strange for you. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we can think of the Holy Spirit as this magical force that just does weird and wacky things. And there can be miraculous things that the Holy Spirit does. I believe wholeheartedly that God is still at work and the Holy Spirit still is doing miraculous things. But so often, the Holy Spirit actually works in the ordinary moments. The series is The Way of Jesus, and we've been talking a lot about apprenticeship. Apprenticeship to the way of Jesus, that we sit under Jesus as our master and we are apprenticed under him. This is a a more active role. Because so often as Christians, if we're not careful, certainly in North America, we're like, listen, I I prayed the prayer, I said I believe, uh, and then you take it from here, Jesus. But Jesus is inviting us to follow him, his way of life, and and to be apprentices. Well, what does that look like? I've said it before. We want to be with Jesus we want to become like Jesus and we want to do what he did. Become, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. Well, here we close this series with how. How does that happen? How do we do that? How do we live as apprentices of Jesus? Do we just try a little harder and, and grit our teeth and say, yeah, I'm going to do this differently? How do we do that? If we need to be with Jesus, how are we with Jesus when Jesus isn't physically present with us. How, how can we be like him? How can we do what he did? And, and here we find it, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.11 says, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. The same power that rose someone from the dead, that resurrected Jesus, actually lives in us actually lives in us. How many of us believe that that's actually true and live like it's true? Like I know in my own life that there are moments that I know that intellectually and yet I find myself struggling with going, yeah, but you know, maybe in like really extraordinary moments and even then will he really show up? The same power, same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in each one of us. This is life-changing for us as we are apprentices of Jesus. Because we're not just sent to go and try harder and figure it out. We're sent with power and God's presence. And he he helps us 
If his power could raise people from the dead, you better believe that God in his power can help you to actually live this out. That he can help you to figure out what it actually means to follow him and challenge you and confront you and, and grow you and help you to embrace a different way of living. We are invited as apprentices to be with Jesus. And in order to be with Jesus, we need to actually be with Jesus. And the way that we get to do that is by constant communion with the Holy Spirit. In every single moment, ordinary moments. I've listened to a few people that have talked about this book called The Practice of the Presence of God. This guy, Brother Lawrence, and I think he was a 15th century monk, and he would talk about it. He'd go, God is as present to me as I'm, when I'm washing dishes as when I'm taking communion. Like, what does that look like? Because I don't know what you're like. If you're like me, it's that North American compartmentalized. Jesus changes my life on certain times, but then I have like work to do and I gotta drive and I get annoyed with people. Well, what would it look like to actually go, same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us all the time if we, if we actually allow him to. And so every single moment we can tap into, I can be with the Holy Spirit. I can be with Jesus in every single moment of every single day. I can actually find every single moment to be sacred and holy in ordinary moments. For so many of us, it's the extraordinary things and we live from like mountaintop to mountaintop. But what does it look like to know that God is present through all of it, in the valleys, in the mountaintop, in the coasting, in the moments where you go, I'm just, I'm just getting groceries. And God goes, yeah, I'm here with you too. Because the thing that I think often about, if we live like that, I think how we interacted with people that don't yet believe in Jesus would change. Because we'd see every single moment that heaven is trying to break in through us and trying to impact people and we get to be part of. And we think, I'm just doing ordinary things. And God's going, no, don't you see? The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. And the same power that brought death from life can bring death, or that brought life from death can bring life from death in people's situations around you. And you have hope. You can bring hope in ordinary moments. It's so important for us to understand the significance of the resurrection, but then to live in the reality of the resurrection and what that speaks to about who Jesus is. We've been in this series, The Way of Jesus, and we've been challenged. What does it look like to not conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing? What does it look like to actually follow Jesus, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he, what does that actually look like? It requires work. It doesn't, it's not just about listening to someone speak for half an hour or 40 minutes and going like, well, that was nice. Now what else is happening? You actually are responsible for your spiritual development. What does that actually look like? And I was reading this passage from 1 Peter that I think should challenge us, and I wanna, I wanna speak it over all of us, me included. First Peter, so this is Peter, the same guy who goes and he gets to the, he hears about Jesus being resurrected and he's like, I need to see for myself, goes to the tomb, it's empty, and is like, I don't know what's going on. His life completely changed, and he writes this. First Peter 1, 13 to 15. And this is, I think, significant for us. So prepare your minds for action. Action, not just knowing more stuff, but actually doing it. And exercise self-control. 
Not just talk about being self-controlled. Exercise it. Exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Here's a key, key part for those of us who follow Jesus. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better back then. This is why this way of Jesus is so significant, because we find ourselves settling into our old ways. Like, I don't know what you noticed about COVID, but I noticed lots of people sliding back into old ways of doing things. And we go, you know what? I know Jesus' way is this way, but it's really hard and costly, and I'd rather do my own thing. Our tendency is to slip back into our old ways of doing things. This was as true when Peter wrote this as it is today. That this is what we find, we, we war with that reality that his way, Jesus' way is a better way, but it requires us consistently saying, I'm gonna choose that, not my old way of living. I'm gonna go where you're going. I wanna go ahead to where you're going. I don't wanna go to where I've been. I wanna plead with you. Don't settle for old ways of living. If you've been part of Collective for a while, if, if you've been part of this series, you know there have been things in this that have been challenging and confrontational and helpful in helping us to grow. Don't hear all of that and reflect on that and go, you know what, though, that's hard, and I'm just gonna go and do my old thing. That whole idea of repentance is you're going in a direction, you turn and you face yourself on Jesus and run to him. Don't find yourself as you've turned to Jesus to turn the other way and run in a different direction. I wanna challenge us, all of us, to commit wholeheartedly to being apprentices of Jesus in every moment of every single day in our life. There are 400,000 plus people in London over 100,000 people, according to the most recent census, have no religious affiliation, no connection with God. That number's way higher than that in reality. And over 100,000 people live by themselves. So we have a whole bunch of people that don't know God, that don't have a relationship with God, and don't have a relationship with each other. If we as Christians, as the church, do not look different and represent something different, the way of Jesus, then we are just a, a banging cymbal, a, a, a noisy gong. We're, we're nothing. We instead need to live the way that Jesus is asking us to live to represent a counterculture where there is life when it seems like there should be death where people experience us and go, this does not make sense that you have this perspective. Why are you able to, to navigate this like this? What hope, give us the reason for the hope that you have. This is the invitation. Increasingly, cultural Christianity is dying, and I think that's a great thing. Let's not settle for spectator Christianity, comfortable Christianity. Let's instead say, God, I'm willing to actually do what you asked me to do. And when you say things, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to be reminded and then take action. I'm going to exercise self-control. I'm going to follow your way, not slip into my old way of living. 
But I want to remind you as we do that, the only way we can do that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not by just trying a little harder. It's not by saying on Monday everything will change. It's about every single day spending time with God and saying, God, I, I'm willing to do what you asked me to do. Help me, help my areas where I'm struggling. Help the areas where I, where I resist. And we walk step by step in step with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're in the room right now and, and you go, uh, I'm dealing with some things and I just, I just need I need prayer, I need support. We have a prayer team that would love to pray with you, that would love to lay their hands on you and pray over you and pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal himself more to you, that even this whole beautiful thing where Jesus is explaining the scriptures, that maybe you're going, I go to read and I try to understand and I just don't get it, and we wanna pray for you, that there would be the sense of understanding, that things would stick out and speak to you. Maybe, maybe you're in the room and you've never made the decision to follow Jesus and today would be an amazing day to start that journey. You can fill out a connect card and let us know or come find one of us. Come to the next steps table and let us know. I wanna do this. For all of us that would call ourselves Jesus followers, I want us to take these words in 1 Peter seriously. I don't want us to slip into our old way of living. Maybe there's some things in your life that you need to deal with. Maybe there's some things that you've been avoiding and you know exactly what that is, and I wanna encourage you. Don't, don't just stay where you are and hope that it'll just accidentally get better. Take, take a step and make a decision today even to step closer and closer to the way of Jesus. We're gonna be starting a new series called Extraordinary where we look at Proverbs and, and what does it look like to apply biblical ancient wisdom to our lives. But I wanna just let you know if you're new to Collective that we are a church that wants to practice the way of Jesus, following the way of Jesus, apprenticing to the way of Jesus. And one of the things that we celebrate in that journey is baptism. Baptism is when we go under the water signifying our, our old life and we're washed by the water and we come out as new creations. It's symbolic of inward transformation. And this summer, we're gonna be doing baptisms in an outdoor service. And if you are here, if you're engaging online and you go, I have never been baptized, but you know that's your next step, and you made all sorts of excuses, or like, you know, I just need to know more, and I don't know if I wanna be in front of a bunch of strangers, I wanna encourage you to take that step. We would love to celebrate life change with you and baptize you. We're gonna, we're gonna spend some time, and we're gonna respond in worship, but I wanna pray for us. Would you stand up and let me pray for us? God, we are so grateful that you sent your son to live a perfect life that we could never live, to pay the price that we could never pay, to restore the relationship that we could never restore on our own. God, we are so grateful that the message didn't end with the death, but instead that, that the resurrection offers us new hope. God, the same power that, that rose your son from the, the dead, you give us access to. Help us to live with the understanding that you are present and you are present with power. God, help us to be the kind of followers of the way of Jesus that don't settle for the past and don't settle for our old way of living, but instead live a new way, the way that you are inviting us to live. 
God, I believe wholeheartedly that you want to speak to each one of us. And I pray that it wouldn't just be in this moment that we are together, but also through our week, that you would guide us, that you would challenge us, that you would remind us that we are invited to be with your son, Jesus, become like Jesus and do what he did. But we are not sent on our own. We are equipped with power, God. We need you. God, as we worship, we lift our eyes to you. We focus on you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you Sunday.